Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. Today, discussing homework, its benefits, its neutralities, and possibly its shortcomings in the mainstream school. I'm Rob Cloud, got Brendan O'Leary, and Brendan is going to attempt to do a nutshell. So if you're new to us, we're kind of working with a framework here on the podcast, and it's worth at least knowing about it before we dive into our episode. So Brendan, first of all, casual greetings. Nice to see your face. Casual greetings to you too, Rob. Casual greetings back. Acknowledgement of each other as as people who do small talk. As humans. I, I, thou. Mm-hmm. And let's get into business. Enough with the pleasantries. Exactly. A nutshell. We've been plucking away at this for 80 plus episodes, trying to save people having to listen to an hour of us give context in order for us to speak about what we're going to speak about today. Can you share our overall map, framework, system, context for looking at the reinvention of education? Well, as you know, Rob, I'm a big fan of folk, folk music, folk art, whatever whatever you like. And in the spirit, I've taken your nutshell, made only the slightest changes to it, and present it back to the world, because that's what, that's what real folk music is. So here we go. In every school, you'll find a tug of war between different ideas about what a good education looks like. But why is this? Parents, students, teachers, and administration can have a traditional, mainstream, or progressive vision. Each of these three approaches to school is like trying to move the school in the direction of its definition of what good education is. All three use the same vocabulary, but each approach uses different definitions when talking about their vision. Now, while it is true, the traditional, mainstream, and progressive approaches share the same three aims of school. That is, they value occupational preparation, the cultivation of citizenship, and self-development. All three types of school, the traditional, mainstream, and progressive approach, approaches each one in a completely different way. Now, not only are their ideas different about how to meet those aims, so one of the ways we've looked at it is to look at the relationship between the teacher and the student. And the traditional school, you might view this as a master and apprentice model. The teacher is an expert and they know the one best way for students to achieve success and meet the three aims. In the mainstream school, you might see an Olympic coach, an athlete model. So the teacher might work to assess and create each student's individual optimal way to achieve their success in accordance with specifically the curriculum as they look towards these three aims. And those are, again, workplace preparation, cultivation of citizenship and self-development. And the final of the three that we look at is the progressive school. And you might see this relationship of the counsellor and the counselled, where the student and teacher very much negotiate the path to achieve goals. And these goals will center very much on the development of the individual student. Although, as with all three models, they will still have that shared aim of citizenship and work preparation built in there. Now, these three approaches don't only impact the nature of what happens inside the classroom, they kind of ripple out into everything that the organization does. Now, traditional school maintains a clear pyramid of authority and it prioritizes duty and tradition and security. Whereas the mainstream school sees the world more as a flexible meritocracy with achievement being prioritized alongside a transparency and measurable progress. The third type of school, the progressive school, uses kind of a horizontal leadership model that prioritizes inclusion along with the individual search for meaning and empowerment. Here at Reinventing Education, we're not saying that any one of these three schools is better or worse. It really depends on the context. And each of the three types of school can be done 
effectively or poorly. Here on Reinventing Education, we believe it's better for a school to choose the type mainstream, progressive or traditional to best suit the needs of its students, staff and community. And the context is really important and rather than being pulled in a tug of war between the various directions at the expense of time, resources, passion and relationships, it's better to do one of the types of school really well. In general, the path to becoming a high-functioning school in any of the given approaches requires that the school goals inform the instruction and the organization of the school. To become a high-functioning traditional school, the goal should center around coherence, expertise, and clarify the duties of roles and horizontal collaboration. Uh, to become a high-functioning mainstream school, developmental goals center around transparency, database decisions, and that horizontal and vertical collaboration between between members of the community. To build a high-functioning progressive school, developmental goals center around decisions made by consent and transdisciplinary models. Now, each of the three approaches has strengths and gifts that are unique to it, but they also have drawbacks too. So it's really important you take into account the context of your school. So we're also here on the, the podcast exploring the idea of the next type of school, which is a post-progressive approach. It prioritizes the integration of the previous three approaches. This integration approach seeks a flexible and adaptive balance of these uh, traditional mainstream and progressive approaches to inquire into and to provide what is deemed best fit for the very broad range of needs within any community. So one of the ways we've looked into analyzing how this works is through the eight aspects of school. And these will appear in, in uh, all types of school, no matter whether you're a traditional, mainstream or progressive. We'll look at the systems or how the school organizes itself, the environments, the physical and digital realm, the resources that the school uses, the actions, the practices and activities that we see the people within the school engaging in, the communities, the various overlapping circles of groups, the culture, which is what we allow each of our groups to do, the beliefs or our ideas and values for each individual, and those reactions, the emotional and physical responses of each individual involved. Each of these aspects is really important in gaining a balance and having them all align to the type of school that you're aiming to be is really important. So come and join us on the Reinventing Education journey as we look into the three types of school. And it's all done in service of helping us better understand where we are in our own educational context. Thanks, Brennan. So with all of that table setting having now taken place, we're going to focus in today on the mainstream approach to school. So we talked about traditional, mainstream, and progressive. Mainstream is our goal today. And specifically, we're going to look at how a mainstream school approaches homework. And to save us saying this 30 minutes from now, as you're listening to this episode, you might just be thinking, well, this is just the way school is. Why are these guys talking about what's already happening? What is important to point out is if you're thinking that, it probably means the environment you're in is largely influenced and informed by this mainstream approach. And to keep in mind, there is a completely different traditional approach to homework and a completely different progressive way to approach homework. So let's dive in to give you some of the indicators, some of the criteria that might show that a school's context is centered around the mainstream approach to school when looking at homework. So Brendan, maybe you can set up for us what's the more traditional approach to homework and then how does that contrast with the more mainstream approach? So what we said when we looked at traditional school 
schools with the, the homework is expected, especially as you get further and further up the school, and is often seen to be a good in and of itself. It builds good habits. It allows us to finish work that maybe we didn't get through in school. And it acknowledges that there's a lot of things that you need to know if you want to know what the master knows. You want to become a master yourself. And remember, that is the model master and apprentice. It's important that you were able to review what we've done, complete what we've done so that you're ready the next day to build on top of that. It's a very secure system. Whereas if you look into maybe how mainstream begin to see it, it's a little bit more of an opportunity. Yeah, so one way to think of it might be the traditional approaches so that you can keep up with what's going on. And a mainstream approach is more about getting ahead. So rather than ongoing daily practice that you might see in a more traditional approach, in the mainstream approach, when we're talking about homework, we're probably seeing homework time or things that are being done outside of school time as extensions of assignments. So maybe this is a like larger project work, for example. It's possibly even self-directed. And maybe there are things that you just simply can't do in the school. Like you need to go visit an institution or you need to go interview someone and it's not possible to do within regular school hours. So the idea isn't so much that you've got this kind of ongoing daily little bit of homework as extra practice and review, but rather that like there's a larger task, I guess you could say that you're involved in. However, we're already starting to talk about this idea of homework as an opportunity for extra review. So what are some of the examples that we might see of homework being used as a way to get ahead or as an extra opportunity, not to just catch up or stay with the current, but to actually get ahead of the group? Yes. Yeah, so I think mainstream school now begins to see that if you do more and if you do it better, you're expanding your opportunity. And that's worth the trade-off of the time. Now, within a school, it isn't really a, a student decision per se. It's made for them on the school-wide level. But essentially, the organization has decided that you know, this is good for you because if you take these opportunities, you're going to learn more, learn faster, learn better. And therefore, long term, you will succeed at the game of school. You will succeed in our aim, which is to get better scores, higher credentials, and eventually a better job. So it's kind of seen now as, especially as you get really tied into standardized testing at certain grade levels, credentials, it's seen as a way to basically give you a better chance in those tests. And it essentially builds on top of what the traditional school is saying, where you do need to know this stuff. And it is very good for you to review it into complete work. But above and beyond that, it is an opportunity for you to get ahead and push yourself further up that meritocracy. What I would add to that in terms of those programs that uh, that are open-ended, which are things like Raz Kids, which is a reading program, and we have Khan Academy, which is a math program. And Khan particularly is free and it's open-ended. It goes right from the very beginnings of math right up to high school and beyond. I mean, it's a little dry, but essentially you can just go for that. If you are a, uh, a teacher who wants to give your kids X amount of hours of homework, you just, it's all there for you. And um, there's m- many different paths you can get through and it gives you data on, on what your kids are doing as well. So those kind of, they've made it even more likely and easier for mainstream teachers 
teachers to give skills-based practice and then you can augment it with other more open-ended project stuff as you as you were kind of alluding to earlier so one of the positives of things like this could be using Khan Academy which typically as you're saying is often more something you might give as like open-ended so maybe you know not all of the students are working on the same thing some students are at different stages within the Khan Academy program Raz kids obviously students will be at different reading levels so it's not like they're going home and reading the same text but in the mainstream school we can also offer some homework where the entire class is engaged either in the same task or resource or in the same idea and this could be the flipped classroom and the idea of the flipped classroom is kind of like well you get the lesson at home so you can do something more active in the room so again we go back to this idea in the mainstream school there's always this kind of flip between efficiency and effectiveness and it's like well you could watch this video in class but it'd be a much better use of our time if your 20 minutes of homework was to engage with this content get the big ideas so that you can come back to the room and then we've got a full hour to like explore these ideas in person which is something you can't do at home. So it'd be more effective to do it this way. It's kind of a revolutionary idea, the idea of flipping the classroom. And it's, it's been around a little while, but I think it's starting to catch on more and more, especially middle school and high school where you'll, you'll give them, I mean, you've always had book clubs where, you know, your homework is to read a chapter or whatever, but this has taken that on further to basically any any text or any prompt you can give to somebody, they almost do the work and then bring it in to explore it further. So you can use it as a pre-assessment, tell me what you already know, and then show me, bring it back or go watch this movie, this read this book or whatever, and then bring in and we'll do the actual, the stuff that we can only do when we're together in a room, we're going to use that time more effectively. But it's only when we get in together, we can collaborate on piece of work and we can have meaningful discussions. So it's actually, um, it's actually, a huge thing. And I think we'll see that happening more and more over the next couple of decades. This is an interesting idea, the idea of like, when you engage with the work. So there in the flipped classroom, of course, the expectation is that you're coming prepared and ready to engage with the room. But as far as differentiation goes, and allowing students, a, you know, a little bit more choice around how they're using their time, homework in a mainstream school can actually like accommodate, like even the well being of students to just give them the other option to say like, okay, well, I'm giving you class time or we're providing class time to do this task. But if you're not going to do it in class, you can choose to do this as homework, which is actually a remarkably different idea than in the more traditional approach where the idea is like, well, if you don't do this now, you have to do it as homework. Or if you don't do this now, you're doing it at break and it's homework. Or I'm even giving you extra homework as punishment. The idea here is you can actually like give the student a bit of time or if they're having an off day or whatever it is. The idea is, well, you need to have this done. You're being given some class time for it. But if you're working at a slower pace or this is just not a good time for you to be engaged with this, you can use this time for something else and you can do this later on. I think that's that digs into the idea that we talked about a few weeks ago about having there's there's a line in the traditional school that everyone needs to meet and it's just seen as a almost like a duty but especially as kind of like a fixed point that everyone needs to pass whereas the mainstream school beginning to see things as opportunities not everyone's going to get the same opportunity and not everybody's going to take that opportunity in the same way and so i think things like this begin to become more acceptable. And especially that feeds into that idea of differentiation. You're not all going to get the same homework. Some people will get more, some less. Some people will get a different type of homework. We've talked about differentiating by the, the product or what you make or the process of how you do it. 
and many, many other ways to kind of adapt that homework. And again, in traditional school, everyone's more or less getting the same thing. Yeah, so I, I think from the outside, you might see two kids. One goes to mainstream school, one goes to traditional school. They might have a similar thing. They might be doing a similar piece of homework, but the context for it will be different. And the last thing I think we can toss in here about the mainstream is, again, any work that's going home can be seen by parents. And parents here in a mainstream school, the idea that, like, of course, a parent can help a child with homework. But again, contrasting it with the traditional school, the idea in traditional school is homework is there as a bit of a, like, safety mechanism that if the parents can see the child is behind or if the child is struggling with some things, the duty shifts onto the parents to help the kids to catch up to the group. Whereas in mainstream, and, you know, I, I don't think this is one of the strongest points that we're discussing today, but parents aren't there necessarily to catch the kids up. Of course, they can still play that role. But I think that it's to allow parents to see what work is being done. And the parents are actually there to check that the level of differentiation is appropriate. That as you were just saying, the content might be different. The process might be different. The product might be different. But is that differentiation actually in that zone of best fit? Is that differentiation appropriate? Is it not too easy? Is it not too hard? And I would say this doesn't happen a lot, but the invitation is on the table for the parent to contact the teacher to say like, hey, I appreciate, you know, that my kid's in the higher level reading group, but when I'm sitting with them one-on-one, they seem to be struggling with this. Is this the best fit or vice versa? Hey, I'm glad, you know, definitely the start of the year, they were certainly behind and I know you've been tracking this, but when I've been reading at home, he seems to like totally get this. Could we push this up a bit? I've experiences actually in a school I worked in we welcomed parents making little notes or putting post-it notes in their kids work if they had some comment and you know you wouldn't get that many sometimes they were just nice like he enjoyed this so thanks for your support but then oftentimes or occasionally you would get something that was like you know he found this really difficult or, or you or the kids would be asked by their parents to come over and, and talk to you hey you know they, they come in first thing in the morning they say you know my mom said you know why I, I should have a talk with you about this this uh, maths or this um, this English work or whatever and we do see that being much more acceptable in a in a mainstream school it, it's hard to imagine many traditional teachers welcoming a note written in the book by parents and again that that goes back to the master and apprentice model um, and the obviously the belief is that the trust is in the teacher to get that right every time which is quite a lot of pressure. But there's also the idea that in traditional schools, you don't really step out and say when something isn't working always. That's one of the kind of drawbacks we've talked about before. And so a parent might feel in a traditional school that the homework is too hard or too easy, not enough, too much. And in some cultures, in some schools, they wouldn't feel that they were able to speak about that. And of course, that doesn't go across the board. There's a lot of range. And we've seen how there's never a purely traditional or mainstream or progressive school. And so you might see a mix of this in your school. But I guess as a rule of thumb, it's something that we see emerging much more in mainstream of having parents play more of a part in those almost like a discussion and a dialogue. Yeah. And as one just small anecdote, I did have um, one moment this year with a parent who's arguably probably more even progressive leaning, I might say. And they were referring to their child's differentiated reading task that was done. And their son was in my highest level reading group. And they gave me the feedback. They said two interesting things. One, they said, hey, they did find this a bit difficult. I know it's at their level, but they did find this particular text a bit difficult to understand and to kind 
you know, engage with the questions and the activities you were doing around it. But also compared to my schooling, which, you know, was quite traditional, I don't think we would like, this is, you know, a fifth, sixth grader kind of middle school student. They're like, we wouldn't have done this kind of stuff to like grade 10. You're really asking the kids to like really analyze this. And we wouldn't have done any text analysis till much later in school. This is, this is pretty incredible that they're doing this kind of stuff this young. So there is also this kind of, you know, interesting mix where whether parents and educators have this kind of language of this traditional mainstream progressive, they can see that, oh, my kid's schooling either looks like mine or it looks completely different. And that might be where some of that parent feedback around differentiation or the feedback from home can kick in as well. Yeah, absolutely. It is a, we're always going to have this unusual mix, even within ourselves, we're torn with our own background, our own beliefs. And so I do think uh, you know, from my perspective, that beginning of that dialogue, which extends even further in progressive, is something that does help us to support. But as always, with the caveat, that doesn't mean we should all be aiming for that. In a traditional school, done well, can be very good. But why don't we take a look, as we always do, at the babies, at the good things about mainstream homework? And if this is your first time by babies, we're referring to the babies and the bathwater. So the babies, the good things we want from this mainstream approach, the gifts that it brings, some of the solutions that it solves to some of the traditional problems uh, that it has arisen out of. You so see one, what, Rob, you say I was saving the bathwater until in about 20 minutes, this person who's listening is like, I know babies are good, but I don't get it. And then click bathwater. Ah, oh, now I see. It's the old idiom. <laughs> or if they're, Spoiler not native, alert. if they're not a native Spoiler speaker alert. of English, they'd be like, those two things don't make any sense. <laughs> babies are good and bathwater is bad, but bath. Did he say rabies? Bath he's certainly not talking about are nice. I don't understand. The, the baths are nice. And babies scream and keep you up at night. Exactly. Anyway, we digress. What what are the good things about this? Well, one thing, homework in the mainstream school allows for your own pace. So we gave the example previously, a student perhaps doesn't wish to work on something during class time. It gives them, as weird as this sounds, the freedom to do this as homework. It allows them some more control over their time, but also does allow for someone who needs more time than has been given in class that this is not a punishment of, but rather I have the opportunity, I have the option to do my best by having more time. Different differentiating my process of how I'm getting this done. How about differentiation of the content, Brennan? So yeah, not only is time beginning to get freed up a little bit, but also the content and especially things as we talked about, like harass kids and um, we've used a program called IXL in math. And there's so many of them. Um, Reading eggs is a great one that we've used in the past. They allow you to differentiate and they also allow you to extend and let people do as much as they want. And these digital resources are usually much, much cheaper than having to buy paper-based resources. And of course, with the update, you know, you can get new books and new activities uh, regularly. So it's kind of a win-win-win for everyone. You can do more, you can work at your own pace, it can be differentiated. And it's uh, cheap as chips as well in comparison. Yeah, and as far as efficiency and effectiveness go, if we were to use paper-based resources and certainly not to speak ill of paper books, but if I had to do the work that Raz Kids allows me to provide for my students, I'd be spending at least extra hours each week playing mini librarian in my class, getting books back, checking that everyone's returned things, getting the new books to students, you know, doing ongoing comprehension assessments, all these sorts of things, whereas they're all done within the program 
and, you know, roughly for like two bucks per student. And that's a ton of time that's saved in terms of what the school is paying for me to do, whereas this can kind of be like outsourced. So today's On an unrelated show sponsor, note, you knew where I was going. Rez, you could I could see, see it, in, could your see it in my eyes, couldn't you? <laughs> Use promo code Brendan O'Leary1599. Reading, so who again, doesn't love it? So coming back again to this idea of efficiency versus effectiveness, you can either have Rob doing this for an extra few hours a week or for a buck 50 a child, we can have all of it organized within the program itself. Flipping the classroom, somewhat revolutionary. Like you said, there's always been, you know, hey, do the readings before next class. We're going to talk about them. But the flipped classroom as a more efficient way to actually make use of the time we have together is a pretty good thing here. And thinking about like what is better served doing together in a group and what's better served served you being able to do on your own. One thing is, and this uh, this can go either way in a mainstream school, but to start to respect uh, hours outside of school, because it is a somewhat strange phenomenon to say, I'm going to ask you to come to school from nine till three or whatever, but we can't fit everything in. So we're going to ask you to do some more but we're going to frame it as an opportunity, whereas, you know, a traditional school would have said, we'll frame it as a way to review and be ready for the next day. And that's where the healthy version of the mainstream school begins to say, OK, but the work life balance becomes important, too. And again, this is one of these things that it's hard to define whether it's influence from progressive education or whether it's kind of built into the mainstream school itself. But healthy version of mainstream education or, uh, comes out of those enlightenment values, which is supposed to be about, you know, finding truths that are beneficial for all of us and, and the kind of notion of balance is in there. So there is, in its best cases, the idea of we'll give you some homework, but we want you to be balanced in it. We're not looking to hammer you with it or have you doing many, many hours of, of uh, cram school or extra school after. So those are some of the benefits. Or the babies. Or the babies. The bath water. That cold and icy bath water. Well, I'm going to set you up for this one. If someone has not heard of or is unfamiliar with, that's the same thing, the homework myth. <laughs> What is the what is the premise of the homework myth? So Alfie Cohn is kind of a, a progressive leaning educator, and he wrote a book in 2006 called The Homework Myth. And it essentially suggests that homework has an overall negative impact, that it doesn't actually increase academic growth and that it causes a lot of stress for students. What's interesting that is even though you're talking 15 years ago, the, you know, even just a cursory glance of, of uh, the idea of homework on the internet hasn't overturned this. It does seem to be, um, the evidence does seem to back up that they're in primary for sure. There doesn't seem to be a benefit to homework in its narrowest sense. It doesn't lead to academic gains across the board in primary education. Now there's there's some evidence to suggest that there's context for it. And as students get older, there may be some benefits in, in some ways of homework, but it's certainly not um, a given that homework is beneficial. And so the idea is to be really careful with homework and for it to be meaningful, for it to actually be a positive review and for it not to increase stress on students and on families. 
And I, I did a little bit of research. You can go on forever with the kind of with, with reading about this stuff, but I found a couple of good articles. One on on Reading Rocket, which is um, you won't be surprised to hear a reading site. And um, you know, it tries to give a balanced view of some of the the data, and it's but it, it basically says that there is no conclusive evidence that homework increases student achievement. And although some under some certain conditions and for certain students, it can prove, and especially for students with the special educational needs in certain contexts, it can be beneficial. I've heard it suggested that 10 minutes per grade, so as in a first grade kid, 10 minutes. Now, 10 minutes seems like nothing, but 10 minutes of quality reading can be beneficial if it's done every single day and so on. And moving up towards an hour's work by the time you get to a primary. But even that doesn't seem to be um, evidence-based per se. And I found this article um, by uh, Kalinowski from 2014. Now, they did go in for the data and they tried to find evidence based on high school GPA, so standardized test scores and college attendance. And they came to the conclusion that there was a small positive effect in high school for males. It was a, it was a small increase of a few percent. And they suggested that even that with other variables would need to be researched more. So again, the evidence seems to suggest in primary that we have to be very, very careful with the homework we give. There doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that it actually makes major increases in academic growth. However, you may have a different experience. And I know a lot of teachers who would argue that it does, and they would have data from their own particular classes and so on to suggest that it actually does. So it is very much context. Yeah, anything else that we have to be careful of that might even be a negative with homework? Yeah, so one of the criticisms, probably more coming from the traditional approach, would be this idea of students getting out of their duty. So the duty being that students are doing what they need to do in class. So the idea that a student student could just say, well, I'm not going to do this with you. <laughs> I'm going to do this on my own time. Could to some be seen as like a testing of their authority, almost like, a, well, you can't make me do this. And in fact, I'm not going to do it here. I'm going to do it when I want to. And perhaps there's that missing piece of like, okay, well, if you're not going to do it, what are you going to do now? You're certainly not going to sit here doing nothing or bothering other people. That's certainly not going to be allowed. But I think this extends further is there is this traditional concern of someone not upholding their duty. So by the master or the teacher not being present, even this idea of the flipped classroom could come under fire from a traditional teacher with the concern that the students might not be on the right track with this material if they're not around. Not only that, maybe students misunderstood it and are showing up not only unable to do the thing, but now having to go back and like review the actual like content that was supposed to be the homework, which is less secure, less safe than if they had just done it in class with a constant ongoing check of comprehension with them. And then now this is totally anecdotal. We need to do some studies to back this up. But the biggest concern is the idea that parents can just simply do mainstream assignments for the kids while at home. We started this by talking about how a lot of mainstream homework might be connected to larger tasks that simply, that simply need more time than is available in the classroom or require some extension of interviewing someone 
or whatever it is going to a real life place. The concern is when those large projects go home, that parental help can possibly either be a slippery slope into parents doing it, or just simply the parents know that, you know, this might be somewhat high stake stuff and worth a good chunk of the mark. So the parents will just straight up do it. Now, this is the anecdotal part. We need studies for this. I've never worked in a completely progressive school. I've definitely had experience in the more traditional and more mainstream schools, but I would say this seems to be a phenomenon specifically tied to the traditional schools. This has been much less the case in the mainstream environments I'm in, where parents will actually step in and do the assignments. But I know from some more traditional leaning colleagues, they never want an assignment to go home. Yes, review can go home as homework. Yes, a few extra questions can go home as homework. But a larger like end of unit task or a, a larger piece of writing or something like that should never go home because we have no real way of proving what is the parent's work and what is the student's work. So not only are you getting out of duty, but there's also that lack of security of not knowing whose work this actually is. And as strange as it sounds, having perhaps traditional leaning parents being the ones to help their kid get out of the duty to make sure it looks like they're not falling behind. There's layers upon layers in that one. And it all makes sense that it does, you know, because there is an expectation in traditional school to meet a certain standard and for it to look a certain way, then if it doesn't, you will find potentially a traditional parent or a parent from a traditional school stepping in to make sure it does what it's supposed to do because it's part of their duty to make sure. So there's layers upon layers. And then in the mainstream, the parents understood, like we said earlier, they understand that this is going back for feedback and for the idea of the student growing. And so they're actually not helping if they step beyond that, what we call zone of proximal development. So yeah, getting in there and asking the odd question to push them on a little bit further or you know, help them to develop their ideas. Yeah, that's all actually seen as great within the mainstream. And then you go beyond that and you start to do it for them. The mainstream school would, would basically, you know, the message would be this is actually not very helpful for them because it isn't going to help them to grow. And so, yeah, again, it's another one of those things where, yeah, you can't just look at it on face value. There's a whole lot of contextual and, uh, and cultural things just happening there that kind of feed back on each other and make it a really, really kind of knotty kind of um, puzzle to solve. So those are some traditional critiques. If we shift to kind of a more progressive critique, we might see like this idea again of choice, autonomy, and meaning becoming some of the things we would orient around. And a more progressive leaning teacher might say something like, homework is okay, but only if the student is choosing it or if it's supporting the work that they're doing outside of the school environment. It needs to be meaningful and it needs to be useful and it needs to feed back not only for the individual student's meaning, but it needs to be served serving that student's community or context in some kind of way. It needs to be authentic. So if the child is choosing to do this stuff outside of school, all for it. If we're imposing this, I think to go back to what we talked about earlier, against their will, then I think that's where a progressive critique would enter in here. Absolutely. First off, why are we taking more time? It's more of an invitation. If you want to continue, if you want to explore, if you want to take meaningful action, and if that meaningful action 
impacts your community. Fantastic. And then you get schools that, that straddle the divide. And I would say IB schools, especially you get into upper primary and, and beyond the idea of agency and community service is actually baked in. So it's a more of a negotiation. We, we do want you to do this, but you have a lot of say in how it's done and where it's done. And, uh, you know, my daughter was doing the, uh, what we call the exhibition at the end of primary and she decided to look into animal uh, rescue. And so we went to some animal shelters and um, this was driven by her she decided when she would go and what questions she would ask and what she would try and do and so you know that's a very different type of homework as going spending the day in a, an animal shelter now of course it opens up many many other discussions and uh, it's a very complex idea but but certainly that had a lot of meaning and she was choosing to do it even though the school was negotiating some of those frameworks but yeah, so I think the progressive critique would, as with much of this, come back to meaning and agency choice. And we all have 24 hours in the day and it's been about a third of it sleeping for a normal human being. There is also just this question of like, what is a child's time being taken up by, being spent on or being engaged with? And, you know, the question to go back to your thing, if you say 10 minutes per grade leading up, if you've got an hour of homework each night, what is that coming at the expense of what needs to be cut? in order for that to continue. And I've heard this, particularly as students get further up into high school. This is a, a common thing in a few schools I've worked in where you hear this idea of, oh, I used to do this, but now that I'm in grade X, whatever it is, now that I'm in grade eight, now that I'm in grade 10, oh, now that I'm in my last year of school and it's high stakes, I used to do this extracurricular activity, but now I don't because I have to study more or I have more homework or there are more demands being put on me. More of my time is being spent in the evenings on this stuff. I have less time for these, you know, typically really beneficial activities that I used to engage in, but now I have more homework. And of course, hopefully you could try, and I'm being a bit of a devil's advocate here, trying to say that this as a positive, but you can hopefully say that, yeah, but this homework is serving you. This is opening up doors. It's ensuring you get the next step towards what you want. But yeah, that is coming at a sacrifice of, of something else. And I think this is the flip side to say, if that homework is not actually serving you, if it's like Alfie Cohen says, if it's neutral at best and probably realistically having a detrimental effect on you and you're cutting out things that are having a positive impact on you, then that's where we get into this really unhealthy version of a mainstream approach to homework and your scheduling of your time in general. Yeah. And so if you are in a mainstream school and you're aligned with those mainstream values, then it's probably a better fit. You probably are trying to find that balance and seeing the value of the opportunity. And I think that's what we come back to again. It has to be the right fit for you. It has to be the right fit for your school. If you are a more traditional progressive educator, student or school, this may not be the best method. Um, and then being aware of the water we swim in and uh, making those decisions is it a water filled with babies <laughs> or is it a bath water? Oh, I've broke the metaphor. I appreciate that though. Speaking of breaking things, up next, next episode, we're going to talk about discipline, breaking the wild horses that enter our classroom into, into managed classrooms. I don't know where that metaphor was going either. <laughs> I'll be here. Great Graham Parsons song. So up next, looking at the mainstream approach 
to discipline in classroom management. Any last mm. words, Brendan? Well, it's interesting, discipline versus classroom management. And I think that gives us a, a little sneaky peek into where we're going with this. But um, hope everyone's January is going off okay so far. And we'll see y'all real soon. If the good Lord's willing and the creeks don't rise. Bye. Thanks, Brendan. 